Welcome to the Upper Room Community Church Podcast. Wherever you are in your journey, we hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and provide practical ways to strengthen your relationships. To find out more, visit us at upperroom.ca. Well, hey there, Upper Room. It's good to be with you this morning. My name is Dave, and I have the joy of serving on staff at Upper Room as the teaching and site pastor, overseeing things at our second site in Bolton. That's actually where I am this morning. Really glad that you've joined us here today. If you've been with us for the past couple of weeks, then you'll know that we've been exploring on our Sunday morning time what it means to see Jesus bring new life into every aspect of our lives, specifically emphasizing the way in which he brings new life into our relationships. And this morning, we're going to look at the way that Jesus brings new life into our friendships. When it comes to relationships, there's all sorts of different connections that we have with people. As a matter of fact, we're living in a day where we have all sorts of technology that is actually enabling us to be connected to people all over the world. So now it doesn't matter if you live geographically close to somebody. It doesn't matter if they live on another continent or if they live on the other side of the world. As a matter of fact, we can even communicate with people who are in space right now. Think about that, right? The technology has enabled us to be connected to people in all sorts of ways. And one of the interesting things about social media in particular, the networks that are made to allow us to have these online relationships, they often refer to the connections that we have as being friends. Uh, So Buffer Marketing did a survey, or did a study rather, and they looked at the 20 most popular and the most used social networking platforms in the world. And of course, this probably won't come as a surprise to you, but Facebook was the number one social media platform with 2.3 billion monthly active users. Now that's important because what that means is that at very least once a month, one third of the world's population is logging into Facebook. That could be as little as once a month. That could be in some instances they said people who are logging in more than a dozen times per day. Uh, it could also be that people don't even ever on, on, like never log out from Facebook. They're just always connected there. And Facebook refers to the people that you're connected with there as friends. Now, the same study said that 81 million of those accounts are actually fake accounts. But even still, if you were to subtract 81 million from the 2.3 billion monthly active users, you would still be hundreds of millions more users than YouTube, which came in second place as the most popular online community. Now, we think about uh, 2.3 billion, and to be honest with you, we don't even know what to make of that word. It's absolutely tremendous. It's ridiculous. That doesn't mean anything to us when we talk about being friends. So the same study suggested, or said rather, what they found was that the average amount of friends that a Facebook user has is 338 people. That's on average. Now for sure, some of you will have less than 338 if you're a user of Facebook. Some of you will have more than 338 people as friends on Facebook. But a year and a half ago, I actually uh, deactivated my Facebook account. And at the time of doing that, I had something like 1,300 friends. Now, I'm not saying that to brag. I'm not saying that to even try and sound cool because this is not, that's not going to work using Facebook as the example for that. But actually, what I was recognizing is that having 1,300 friends on Facebook wasn't actually like having friends at all. There were people there that I, I hardly even knew, if I even knew them whatsoever. I'm sure that in some cases, there were people who were mutual friends that added me as a friend, and I just felt so bad rejecting their friend request that I accepted them anyways. And, and what was actually actually happening 
is this platform, which was meant to create a space for relationships, for friendships, was actually watering down and taking away from what actual relationships were meant to be. And so that actually led to being one of the reasons I wanted to shut it down. And so Facebook calls these friends, but we know that whether it's 338 or whether it's whatever, that's way too many people to have close, intimate uh, friendships with. Like we don't have, we can't go to a certain level of depth with that many people. So to that end, in the mid, 90s, uh, anthropologist Robin Dunbar did some studies where he looked at the, the brains of primates and associated that with uh, the social group size, the average social group size for those same primates. After doing his anthropological work and his studies, he was able to say that on average, the, re the, the, uh, the average amount of, of human interactions, of healthy relationships that we're able to maintain as people is in the realm of 150 people. And he describes it this way. He says, 150 is about the number of people you would not feel embarrassed about joining uninvited for a drink if you happened to bump into them on the street. So you're at the grocery store, you're running errands, you're at a restaurant, and you run into one of these 150 people, you're going to linger, you're going to chat with them for a few minutes, you're going to join them for a meal. You're not going to hide behind the shelves or hope that they didn't see you or dodge across the street. That's about the maximum amount of people we can actually have any type of health healthy relationship with. But you still might be saying that seems like way too many, which is why psychologist Dr. Sarah Rose Cavanaugh took some of Robin Dunbar's findings and actually realized and actually um, compressed it in a study and said that when it comes down to the most close friendships we can have, the most close relationships we can have, the amount of people that we're now talking about is more in the realm of 15 or less people. She's saying that just based on the way that we're made, based on the way that we're wired, 15 is about the maximum amount of people. That's our maximum capacity for having in-depth, solid relationships with, these, with this number of people alone. Now, she says that... Um, she said that um, this group, these 15, likely consists, this 15 or less people, likely consists of people you already know. And she kind of broke them down into categories. So she said, this probably includes people that you're living with right now. Now, maybe you're living on your own. And she would say, well, if that's the case, then it's probably inclusive of people that you did live with at one time or another. Maybe your mom, your dad, uh, a grandparent, or maybe a sibling, something like that. Uh, Expand. She says, these are the kind of people where you've probably been in their house, and they've probably been yours. You've enjoyed a meal with them. You've hung out with them. You spent some time with them. She would say this 15 people uh, is likely the group where you don't feel like you need to wear a mask around them. You, you can be as uh, um, uh, you can be your best with them. You can be at your worst with them, and you're not worried about that because you trust them and know that you're loved by them. This number of 15 has also been referred to as a sympathy circle. And what this is is the group of people that um, you would be first to call when you have good news to celebrate or when you have bad news and you need to mourn or you, when you need someone just to lean on, when you need to just vent. Those people that you do that with are probably in this group. This was also the group of people where if something tragic were to happen to you, they're the ones where their hearts would be torn open. They'd be broken and devastated for you. Just the same. If something happened to one of them, that would be how you felt about them. You'd be torn open. And so these are the kinds of relationships that we actually long for. 
We want a place, we want a connection with people where we can be absolutely relationally and emotionally uh, authentic, where we can be open, where we can be free, where we can know that we're loved, that we're accepted, where we know that there are going to be people who, who are going to uh, not only just to take us as we are, but they're actually going to want what's the best for us. They're even going to push back sometimes, hoping for the best. And this is what we want, yet the reality is it seems like these types of relationships are so elusive. They're so difficult to have. They take so much work. In some instances, we might say it's impossible. We may want them. Maybe we don't want them. But there's something there that says, I, I don't even know if it can actually be had. On that note, it's also not as simple as saying, here are the people I want to be friends with. You don't just point your finger and say, oh, I want to be friends with him or I want to be friends with her. That, that's not how it works. It's something that comes as a result of time that's put into connecting with others and it seems so difficult. You know, Jesus has lots to teach us about what it means to be friends. Uh, and actually, one of the ways we learn this from him is by looking at his relationship that he had with his disciples. Scripture tells us that when Jesus was 30 years old, he began his earthly ministry. This is when he began to preach and teach. This is when he began to tell people about the kingdom of heaven, about the kingdom of God. This is when he worked miracles. And at the beginning of his earthly ministry, the first thing he did was begin calling disciples to follow him. So he invited 12 young men to be his disciples. He said, come follow after me. Now, his disciples were, uh, at the youngest, they would have been around 12 or 13, and at the oldest, they would have been somewhere around 20. And so what this tells us is that this is Jesus, the youth pastor. This is Jesus recruiting a group of teenagers and saying, come follow me. I'm going to be your rabbi. You're going to be my students. I'm going to be your master. You're going to be my servants. And, and this was a very normal thing that was happening at that time in history. Rabbi Rabbi, teacher, and students. Rabbi and students that followed after, that learned uh, from him. Now, what's amazing about this uh, is that in the passage we heard read earlier, Jesus refers to his disciples as friends. Now, that's something that maybe wasn't as common. Yes, they were his students, but it wasn't the same relationship that we might think of as far as a student and a teacher relationship today. So perhaps you have children or you're in you know, junior high or you're in high school and you know that your teacher is somebody that you're with four, five, six hours a day. Maybe it's a homeroom teacher or a science teacher. They have a role or an influence on part of your day. Maybe some of you are in college or university and you've got a professor that you're thinking of and actually what they do is they lecture you for three or four hours a week, but other than that, you don't really have any relationship with him. Well, this relationship that Jesus had with his disciples was different, again, because he calls them friend. Now, this word friend is an interesting word for us to pay attention to as well, because in the ancient world, they had various uses for the word friend. Most commonly in scripture, one of the words we see for friend, or sorry, I shouldn't say most commonly in scripture, most commonly in the day, the word friend could have been used to be applied to a, a, a business relationship, so a patron-client relationship. Essentially what this meant, if you were a business owner, you were a seller, you were a trader, you would have been the patron, and then you would have had a client a buyer or somebody who was trading with you. And if things were a healthy relationship, if you guys were doing good business, you would refer to each other as friends. You were business friends. Today, 
it's the same. We have good, healthy business partnerships. And now, now, now that's true for then and that's true for today. But um, one of the things that we have to note is that so deeply ingrained in the social structure of the day was this organization of superior and inferior within relationship structures. So even though in a business they may have referred to it as a friendly business relationship, there was still absolutely a superior and an inferior role being played by each of those people in that friendship relationship. So uh, the, the seller or the business owner who's taking money from the client, he would be the superior in that relationship. You could also think of it the other way around, whereas if a buyer or a client chose not to, not to, to, to do business with that seller anymore, well, they actually become the one who's the superior over the inferior because they become the ones who have the power. Now that would have been very common in the ancient world. You can be a friend in business, but it didn't necessarily mean anything more than that. However, when we read in parts of the New Testament, the way that Jesus refers to his disciples as friends, the way that we see the word used as friends when it's talked about um, Jesus, uh, when it's talking about God and the way that he connects to people and the relationships that we as followers of Jesus are supposed to have within one another, the word friend that gets used there is much more connected to what we would already think of um, when we think of friends, which is um, somebody that you're connected to in a friendship where your relationship is uh, filled with mutual respect, with mutual love, um, where there's uh, a sense of equality and sacrifice for one another. Now, when we think about it that way, this type of loyalty, this type of equality, this type of love, this type of respect, this type of sacrifice, when we think about it that way, it is absolutely an incredible thing that Jesus would refer to his disciples as friends. I mean, think about that for a second. This reveals to us that Jesus, in his divinity, in his holiness, in his moral perfection, didn't think of any of that as something that should keep him away from us or us away from him, but still calls us friend. That should be so incredibly encouraging. When we hear Jesus refer to the disciples that way and him talk to us that way, Jesus calling his disciples friends is where we find hope that we too can be his friends and also be friends like him. It's not just that Jesus called them friends. It's actually the timing of when he called them friends that's important to us as well. Uh, I mentioned earlier that Jesus ha had spent, uh, Jesus in the time of his ministry spent three years from the time that he was 30, beginning his ministry, calling his disciples, doing all those things. It was a process of three years of earthly ministry before his inevitable uh, um, before he was betrayed, before he was arrested, before he was put on trial and ultimately crucified. And when Jesus was saying this to his friend, to his disciples, to his friends, when he was calling them friends, this was towards the end of the three years, uh, just before all those events took place. So this is important because it tells us that Jesus had been with his disciples for a long time, for three years. Again, as the gospel writers tell us and as historical context tells us about the rabbi relationship to students, we know that they spent a ton of time together. They ate together, they traveled together, they ministered together. Very often they would be in one another's homes. Uh, they celebrated together and they partied together even. I mean, think about at the beginning of John's gospel, he tells of Jesus' first miracle, which was at the end of the night when the, at a wedding when they had run out of wine. Jesus works a miracle, turning water into wine 
wine and the party goes on. Jesus and his disciples did that together. Um, they, they would have prayed together. They would have mourned together. In one instance, a friend of theirs died and they mourned over that death together. They worked together in ministry. They spent a lot of time together. And, and we can think of it just as simple as that as you read through the Gospels or you read other books that tell us of the broader context, historical context of what was happening uh, at the time of Jesus. Um, but one thing we actually see in the beginning of the Gospel letter that we, were read from, that we heard from earlier, earlier on it was read to us from uh, John chapter 15, but earlier on in that book, the Apostle John actually gives us a clue. In John chapter 3, verse 22, he gives us a clue about the time that Jesus spent with his disciples. And so he says, after this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside where he spent some time with them and baptized. This is coming after Jesus already doing some miracles, Jesus already doing some pretty significant teaching. And if we're not really paying attention to what this is saying to us, we can look at it as nothing more than like a mundane, uh, narrative, transitional kind of statement. Okay, it tells us a couple of things, right? It tells us that who was there? Jesus and his disciples were there. Well, where were they? They were in the Judean countryside. And what were they doing? They were baptizing and doing ministry. And they spent some time together. So we can look at it that way and we can kind of him over it. But John, the writer here, actually locks away a clue for us that tells us a lot about the relationship that Jesus had with his disciples. It tells us so much about what it means to be friends. Because spent some time, actually translated out of the Greek, refers to this word diatribo. Diatribo is this word that is defined as being to break in or to rub off on. To break in or to rub off on. And so we can read this quick little verse in John chapter 3, and it's nothing more than a quick little transitional statement. And we can say, okay, they spent some time together, big deal. Well, actually, hold on a second. The period of time that, it was, that was being referred to there was somewhere between four and six months. That's one-sixth of all of the time that Jesus spent with his disciples over the course of three years. So we shouldn't just skip over it because it was during those four to six months and actually the rest of their time together that they weren't just with one another, they were diatriboing. And I know that sounds like an absolutely terrible transliteration, but I feel like it's okay for me to use this Greek word in my, in my Anglo-Saxon, my English uh, accent to make sense of it for us. They were diatriboing together and diatribo, to break in, to rub off on one another, takes a lot of time. I'll give you two examples uh, to help us make sense of what was going on here. One of them involves sandals, and the other one involves relationships, okay? So the first one, think about what it's like to when you've purchased a new pair of shoes. Specifically, if you've ever purchased a new pair of leather shoes. Even more specifically, if you've ever owned a pair of Birkenstock sandals. If you've ever owned a pair of Birkenstock sandals, then you maybe have a clue where I'm going with this. About six years ago, Sandra, my wife and I had uh, a few days where we were up in cottage country in July and it was like 40 degrees outside. It was absolutely sweltering hot. Not only that, she was like seven or eight months pregnant. And as we're out and about walking up the main street in Huntsville, we're just so hot and our, 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 our shoes, all we had were those kind of cheap little rubber uh, flip-flops, flip-flops providing like no support for our feet. And as you can imagine, uh, her in that stage of pregnancy, how uncomfortable she would be. So as we're walking up the main street in Huntsville, we go into the shop and sure enough, we see these Birkenstocks uh, being sold there. And 
Numerous people had, had, had raved about how amazing these shoes were and we looked at the price tag and we said, wow, these are expensive, but we've heard such good things. And so we took the plunge, we bought these Birkenstocks, we actually wore them out of the, sta out of the store. Now, any of you who've ever owned Birkenstocks know where I'm going with this. Because as we walked out of the store, we began to experience the most uncomfortable pair of shoes that we've ever worn in our lives. We honestly thought that we had been swindled, that our friends had, who had raved about these Birkenstocks were just lying to us, that there was no truth in it whatsoever, they're actually the worst shoes, that the shop owner was just counting the bills and laughing at us as we walked out. We were so uncomfortable. How could it be that these shoes are so expensive and so uncomfortable at the same time? Our, the soles of our feet hurt, our ankles hurt, Sandra was even more uncomfortable. They were absolutely uncomfortable. We were miserable. But then, after some time, what happened? They got broken in. As the weight of our bodies, as our foot pushed into it, as our feet actually sweat, which I know is gross, but it's just part of the process. As our bodies broke into these sandals, what was happening was diatribo. We were breaking in these sandals, and as we did, the sandal became contoured or conformed to the bottom of our feet. And now, five, six years later, we still have those shoes, I still have those sandals, and now they're the most comfortable shoes I still think that I've ever owned. Over the course of time, diatribo took place. Those shoes got broken in, and I know this is a weird way to think of it, but like a relationship between my foot and that shoe began to form. If you have a pair of these shoes, you know exactly what I'm talking about because you can come back to them and your foot just so perfectly slides right into the grooves that have been created there. That's diatribo. Now, it also means to rub off on one another. So there's this idea of breaking in over a period of time, but there's also this rubbing off on one another that takes place. What this means is influencing one another. It, it, an influence that one thing or one person has on another. When we think of this relationally, what we can see is that um, the more you spend time with people, the more you begin to influence them or rub off on them, and the more they begin to influence you or rub off on, on you. And this begins to happen. So as soon as you start uh, spending, uh, extended periods of time with people, you begin to talk like them. You begin to sound like them. I remember as a young, as a, as a kid visiting my relatives uh, who lived on a farm in Ohio and within like 10-15 minutes of being around them, it took everything within me to be self-controlled, to not mimic their, their American kind of twang that they had in their voice. Because they influence me. If you've been around a friend who just has a contagious laugh, you know that it's not going to be long before you're laughing so loud and almost embarrassingly loud uh, as as well. As you spend time with people, as you rub off and influence one another, you're going to start to care about the same things. You're going to start to have the same, um, uh, the same, uh, the same interests. Maybe uh, you know or you've seen uh, couples who have been married for 40 or 50 years. And as you look at them, you actually realize that they've spent so much time around one another. They've rubbed off on one another. They've influenced each other so much that they're actually now starting to dress alike. And they look alike. And they start to eat the same food all the time. And it's like they're morphing into becoming even the same person. That is diatribo. That is what happens over the course of time. And this is exactly what Jesus was doing as he spent time with his disciples. Jesus never looked at his relationship with the disciples as something that he had to do on some type of programmed schedule. Instead, what Jesus was doing is he was, no, he was, he was um, emphasizing the minutes 
and the hours and the days and the months and the experiences, the things that they did together, all of that time was a place where diatribo was taking place. Throughout that time, throughout those three years, Jesus was breaking them, not breaking them down, but their relationship was being broken in. They were getting closer and closer and closer to a place of authenticity and openness and mutual trust. There, the, Jesus was influencing them as well. And so it's all of this diatriboing taking place for three years. And it's then when he says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends for everything I've learned from my father. I have made known to you. Jesus was not just arbitrarily calling them friends. Rather, what he was doing was saying, this is who we've been becoming all along. As we've diatriboed together for three years, we have inevitably become friends. And Jesus is now just saying what is true. Jesus, in his influence over them, and the way that he, he broke them in, and the way that he rubbed off on them, over the course of these three years, they began to think like Jesus. They were conformed to be more like Jesus. They cared like Jesus. They loved like he did. They served like he did. They were praying like he did. They were mindful of the same things that Jesus was. They cared about him. Why? Because over the course of time, they were becoming friends. They were becoming made like Jesus. He was using this time to become their friends and to be the kind of friend that was influencing them and making them into the person that he wanted them to be. And, and here's what's amazing about this. Jesus actually offers that same friendship to us. This is not something that he, had, that he had exclusively with his disciples. Certainly, there was a special relationship that was with those 12 guys in all of the time that they spent together. But if you can get this, he's offering the same opportunity for us to diatribo with him like his own friends, like his friends. And so when we spend time reading scripture, When we spend time praying to Jesus, when we spend time singing songs, uh, worshiping him, when we spend time in community with other people that are like-minded in faith, following after Jesus, what he's doing in that process is Jesus is rubbing off on us. Jesus is breaking us in. Jesus is influencing us. And the more that we prayerfully seek after him, the more that we intentionally lean into Jesus as our friend, the more we're going to become like him and the deeper we'll grow, not just in our relationship with him, but the more we'll be transformed to be like him. And then we'll actually become friends like him to the others we're connected to. Think about that. Jesus, the son of God, has made himself available to you and wants to die a trebo with you. He wants to spend time with you. He wants to spend time influencing you, rubbing off on you. He wants to spend time in that emotionally safe place. He wants to be authentic with you and you to be authentic with him. He wants to accept you and love you. And yet he still wants to push back and not leave you the way that you are. He wants to be the most genuine type of friend you've ever experienced. And he shows us that in how he connects with his disciples. And that same offer stands for us today. And so Jesus calls his disciples his friend, which means he's calling us his friend as we follow him. This is what gives so much weight behind his words when he says, Greater love has no one than this, than to lay one's life down for one's friend. And this is what we want. 
This is what we want. We want relationships that are, that, are, that are founded upon sacrificial love. We want friends that are going to put aside their own interests for our sake. Friends that are going to love us and care for us and accept us. And not only do we want friends like that to serve us, but we actually want to be that kind of friend to others. We want to care fully and completely. We want to be emotionally raw, emotionally authentic, spiritually connected. We want this kind of commitment. And yet still we say, well, it seems like these types of relationships are, are, these type of friendships are so elusive. Again, they're so difficult. And, and I'd imagine that the case is, if you haven't found these kinds of relationships yet, then it's probably because you haven't just, you just haven't put enough time into it. And I'm not trying to guilt you. I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I get it too. This is how I feel about my own relationships. I, 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 I know and we know all of the priorities in the world and how so many things are pulling us in all of these different directions. Where it's not only that we don't feel like we have time to make friends or to be with friends. We feel like we don't have time to do any of the stuff that we want. And in reality, what we have to ask ourselves is, have we actually submitted to the process of putting enough time in? to actually diatriboing with others. And this is, this is hard. It is hard. Absolutely it is. It takes time. In Jesus' case, months and years. We, we sometimes wonder when we hang out with people or when we spend some time with somebody that we're just getting to know, we wonder, it seems like nothing, like we're not clicking. We wonder if there's any chemistry. And before we even give it a chance, we move on to the next relationship or we've given up on trying to be in friendships with anybody anyways. And what I'm saying to you is follow the model of Jesus, invest the time in diatriboing with one another and watch what happens. The more we diatribo with him, the more he's going to rub off on us, the more he's going to break us in, the more he's going to influence us. And that's where we are going to be able to find the new life that he has to offer us as we connect with others. Which leads to a question for all of us. Who are the few you'll give yourself to? Who are the few you'll give yourself to? Our friendships will begin to flourish when we look at them as the place for diatribo to take place. See, as a church, our desire to see friendships like this uh, created and fostered is absolutely foundational to our multi-site vision. So we're on the outset, uh, we're, we're one church in two locations right now. And we're in the process of becoming one church in three locations. Why? Because we want to be a group of people in smaller communities in the places where we live to make it even more accessible for each one of us to diatribo with other peoples with other people. We, we actually believe that this is so important for us as a church that, that we value being going through all of the process and all of the challenges and all of the hard work of multiplying our sites to ensure that there is a place where you can begin to experience this with other people of faith. This is why as a church we value serving side by side. We value serving side by side. We, we invite you to volunteer and to get serving in the church, not only because we need help, though, though we do need your help. Uh, we, we, we don't just invite you to, to, to get involved serving and volunteering because we're short-staffed or in, in certain areas, though, though we are short in certain areas. But those aren't the primary reasons we do that. 
Our, the primary reason we value serving side by side is because we know that when you start serving the church, serving God, serving others side by side, shoulder to shoulder with others who are like-minded, that is where diatribo takes place. And many of you who have been serving for a long time know that your friends have come out of the places where you've served alongside them. You've become friends that the pe with the people you've always been with because you have a like-minded goal, you have something that you're working towards together. That is diatriboing in action. And of course, this is what home groups have always been meant to be for. Smaller groups of people, around 12 or so people. I wonder where we could have got that idea that 12 would be a reasonable amount or a reasonable side for you to be connecting with in small communities close to where you live. I, I think you've kind of figured out where I'm going with that, right? And so in some cases, there are less than 12. Some cases, there are a few more. But the reason we've chosen 12 is because that's about the amount of people that you can actually begin to go deep with. You can remember details about their life. You can pray for them. and you can, You'll end up sharing stuff about yourself that you don't share with just anyone else because of diatribo. You're influencing one another. Your relationship is being broken in. You're being made one like them. You're being contoured to one another and conformed to the likeness of Jesus as he does his work in you. And so, if you're not in a home group, then I would just encourage you to get plugged in. Ask, where is the closest home group to you? Talk to Pastor Tony. Get plugged into that process. If you are in a home group, then I want to ask you to consider what would it look like to actually take this to the next level? What would it look like for your group to go from being a group of people that meets uh, once, a, uh, once a week or with some frequency to actually saying, no, 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 what would it look like for us to diatribo together, to actually live our lives together? being influenced by one another and influenced by Jesus. And actually, you're going to have some time in your groups this week to discuss a number of these things, but I would encourage you to ask that question too. Friendship takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of effort. For Jesus, we see that it took uh, months and it took even years, and then he got to this place of, of, of influencing them, of, of calling them friends, being equal with them, and that's an incredible thing that took place. And so here's what I, I hope for each one of us. I hope that as we commit ourselves to following Jesus and being a friend of his, you'll be able to see the way that he has offered himself as a friend to us. And that as we diatribo with others, that we'll have the eyes to see and the ears to hear the way that Jesus is actually making us into friends with the people we're diatriboing with. Church, that's what it looks like to see new life brought into each and every one of our relationships, including our friendships.